0: Hello, and welcome to the Beef Cattle Health and Nutrition Podcast, Episode 3. I'm your host, Dr. John Campbell. I'm a veterinarian and professor at the Western College of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Saskatchewan. I'll be interviewing researchers, veterinarians, and nutritionists on topics related to beef cattle health and production from a Canadian perspective. This week, my guest is Dr. Bart Lardner, who's a professor at the University of Saskatchewan's Department of Animal and Poultry Science. Our topic for this episode is the discussion around extensive grazing management systems for cow-calf producers. Let's get started. Hi Bart, uh, welcome to the podcast, thanks for being here.
1: Well, thank you, John. I'm glad to join you.
0: Well, uh, maybe we could start off by having you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your background.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I born and raised in British Columbia and um, on, a, on a mixed farm in southern BC and then up in northern BC. So had a had an exposure to, to dairy and cropping and cow-calf and Certainly worked in the industry for many years, so got to know the feed, lot, and cow, calf, and ranching industries. And uh, came out here in 1984 and, uh, to the University of Saskatchewan. And now I'm a professor here in the Department of Animal and Poultry Science. And my area of focus is, a, is applied cow, calf, and forage systems. Great. Maybe
0: tell us a little bit about the LFCE, the, the Livestock and Forage Centre of Excellence. That's where you do a lot of your work. So what what's that facility like? That's part of our research right. infrastructure here at the University of Saskatchewan.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, prior to that, I was at Lanigan, Saskatchewan with an organization called Western Beef Development Centre. And so uh, a lot of what we'll talk about here today is based on a lot of that work that was done at Lanigan, Saskatchewan. But in 2018, we were very lucky to be part of the uh, transition to a new, a new model called Livestock Forage Center of Excellence, and in that model is is multidisciplinary, so we can do feedlot metabolism work, animal health work, but also we can do cow calf and grazing work. And our new location at Clovaet, Saskatchewan, is just wonderful in that a lot of that land has never seen a beef cow, and so a great opportunity to uh, you know to do grazing research or, or winter grazing research and and measure lots of different phases and lots of different uh, 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 impacts on the land and opportunities. And, and so uh, that that's the exciting part.
0: So one of your major areas of research is, is extensive grazing systems. And, and those systems are really all about trying to extend the grazing se- season as far as possible. And they've become pretty popular over the last decade or so, uh, mm-hmm. certainly... My career here at the university over the years that you we see that a lot more. What's the reason behind that rise in popularity?
1: Well, it's interesting in that the era that maybe you and I grew up, we basically uh, dry lot fed our our cow calf pairs uh, coming off of, of of summer pasture all the way through winter. In fact, they calved in those same pens. <laughs> I remember that in the in the seventies, eighties, and nineties. But you know. It was early 2000 or maybe late 1990s that we saw uh, these new opportunities or ways of managing that pregnant beef cow. And I think th- their whole mentality was is that our, our herds were managed in those early decades like a European method with a barn or a facility where we kept them in confinement. Uh, then we f- you know, realized that maybe there's some opportunity here. Maybe we can have them go to a, to a site a nutrient deficient site on their farm or their ranch and uh, A, grow the biomass and B, graze the cattle out there and and it was what, what drove this I think was economics John, it was uh, you know the cost input costs of facilities um, yardage costs, paid up paid labor all were looking at ways t- A, to extend the grazing season to 365 days a year and B, to maybe look at, at reducing feed costs per cow per day
0: Right. And we know that winter feed costs, especially here in Canada, are are often the number one cost for sort of maintaining a cow over the year, too. Well,
1: absolutely. I mean, uh, work by Kathy Larson, our colleague, beef economist, showing that, that that's a significant amount of the annual cost to keep a cow, probably ranging from 60 to 70 percent of the annual cost to keep that cow is, is to put up winter feed stocks. And so if if we can, you know, reduce the, the harvesting, the, the hauling, the trucking costs, that's a good thing.
0: So what are some of the various strategies that we see producers using? There's more than, there's more than one way to skin a cat here. So how, how do they do that?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, you know, producers are really good at, at, at looking at opportunity and, and just trying to, to utilize forages longer, quicker, sooner, more often in their, in their program. Uh, In a nutshell, it's looking at what are the forages available. We talk about perennial and annual forages. Uh, Is there some way to preserve them in the field, Uh, hopefully under the snow blanket or maybe in some different form, and yes there is. Uh, So, there's there's systems like bale grazing, stockpile forage, swath grazing, utilizing crop residues, or maybe uh, grazing a warm season crop. All of those and I've always told producers, do your research, you know, do your homework before you, you adopt those systems because maybe they're not the best strategy for wherever you live. And, and we see that. So you know, to look at which one might work for you. Uh, A start small. you know don't don't go in at whole hog and have your entire winter grazing program on that one system because we've found many times Mother Nature will not cooperate with you. so, you know, have plan B or maybe plan C in your back pocket.
0: Yeah, that's good advice.
1: Um,
0: what are some of the factors? So, let's say a producer is looking at trying to extend their grazing season in some one of these fashions. What's some of the factors that they have to consider if they're going to implement that?
1: Well, first of all, you would decide on what the crop you're going to grow. Um, you know, usually they're looking at an annual forage to extend the grazing season, typically you know one that's going to hold its quality well into the fall and winter months. Uh, secondly, where are they going to do it? Is there a, a, an acre or, or a field or somewhere on their farm and their ranch that maybe is going to benefit from the nutrients that are going to be deposited? Uh, also as well, the big thing is, is when they're out there, these cows are out there in those, you know, minus sub-zero temperatures, wind protection is is, is whole is a huge, huge issue. And so we know that, you know, many times natural shelter belts maybe not there because they've cleared all the land and they're going to grow those cash crops. So if there's not bush or natural shelter belt, then there has to be some type of portable, um, portable windbreak set up. The other thing I, I mentioned as well is make sure you've, you've looked at what your water point is going to be or your winter watering system. Uh, you know, I mean, <clears throat> sometimes, yes, we can train cows to snow graze, but that has to be an early adoption. That has to be done prior to it getting really cold. I've had producers phone me from Manitoba where she was trying to <laughs> ask her cows to snow graze. It was the middle of January, sub-zero, and there was tremendous vocalization going on. And so, uh, I just said no you need to stop this bring them back to the to the lot <coughs> or to the water bowl and then you just just get them adapted prior to that 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 cold weather setting in they know that that, that snow has to be a good you know good depth fluffy snow not crusted uh, for them to to pick up on that snow snow grazing option the other thing that we really strive is to manage and monitor body condition and Many times, and I, I just chatted with some U.S. ranchers last week, they go on a scale of 1 to 9, we go on a scale of, of 1 to 5 here in Canada. But, you know, those cows coming into that winter grazing system about, about a 3 out of a 5, and on that U.S., about, you know, a 5 out of a 9 scale, and, and maintain body condition so that your winter, winter program, they're not going to lose condition, we don't want them thin coming into calving. And ideally, you know, you can palpate that body condition coming into the fall prior to that winter winter grazing program and just make sure they're going to maintain and that that winter grazing system is going to provide adequate nutrients going forward.
0: Yes, I, I think it's not really a downside, but it's one of the big issues I think that I've seen in some herds that try extended grazing is that they can... They can lose sight of body condition because the cows aren't in the yard quite as easily accessed, Correct. and 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 they have to watch that carefully, make sure that, make sure they're maintaining that, not getting behind. What about, uh, what about mineral intake while you're doing that? Bart, is is that an issue sometimes?
1: Oh, absolutely. And in, in my mind, the producers should strive to provide additional trace mineral uh, supplement year round, uh, but specifically. You know, we want to ensure that these cows are in first, second, third trimester of pregnancy, uh, that there's adequate, you know, uh, macro and micro mineral intake. You know, some of our crops, for example, some of the warm season annuals, for example, corn, may be very high in phosphorus. And so provision of, of a good, you know, cal ratio ratio, three, three to one or greater, is important. And certainly, you know, those trace minerals, copper, zinc, and manganese need to be there because there's other things that might impact not just the feed or the forage, the basal forage that the cows are grazing, but possibly, you know, the, the, the water quality and, and things like that.
0: Yes, and you may need to monitor intakes as well because uh, if they're out on an extended uh, grazing system, not all cows are necessarily going to be eating that free choice mineral.
1: Absolutely, you know, and it's it it is it is important and. What we tend to do is, is for sure, you're gonna you're gonna allocate you know so many ounces, three ounces, four ounces per head per day, and you know if you don't want to continuously fill up the the mineral tub <laughs> because there are some cows that will have greater intakes than others, you may put out you know so much mineral say for a week, and then if it's gone after four days, then you would only go back after seven days and fill it up again. For sure, you know not everybody's going to have that adequate intake but certainly manage and monitor. And it's the same with body condition scoring. If there's some way for you to to walk through your cows, you know, um, they're all haired up, and so it is hard to to look at fat cover, but, you know, you're out there providing mineral or maybe checking your your winter watering system. Just take that time to to walk through everybody uh, and ensure that they're not losing condition.
0: That's good advice. I, mm-hmm. I, I just want to go back to the, the uh, snow as a water source thing uh, for one quick second before we move on. Sure. I mean, I, it's important to have a backup for that as well, right, Bart, because A, the snow may disappear or it may ice over or things like that. And, and so you've got to have a plan B if you're going to rely on that. Obviously, you have to train the cows and all those other things that you mentioned, but you need a plan B as well.
1: Well, absolutely, and now we're now that we're talking about watering in the winter. Um, like I said, make sure it's deep, fluffy snow, not crested over. I like to suggest that 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 snow grazing area is is set apart from where the actual feed is being allocated, because of the trampling and soiling effect. Right. You want it to be fresh, clean snow. Um, you, we really want to get away from from uh, chopping holes in the ice, John and. And, you know, too many times we've seen that that loss of animal uh, falling through the ice. And so there are really good winter watering systems out there, insulated water troughs, um, you know, that are uh, heated by geothermal heating. And, you know, many times producers can look for different subsidy programs through provincial right. or local organizations, right. say half to one-third the cost, uh, that, that they're really beneficial. And so we're we're in the business right now of trying to set those up. At, at Livestock forward Centre of Excellence because, you know, if we're going to showcase extensive grazing, we need to showcase these, these water points as well.
0: Yeah, there's lots of options there and there's been several funding programs, subsidy programs lately to sort of allow producers to invest in those and give them some money back on that. So that, you know, that's something to explore in your area and I think maybe some of that's turning over with the new CAP program, but, but yeah. there may be new programs coming up soon too.
1: Yeah, they're all part of what they call best management practices. So BMP. You know it's interesting, I just met with the ministry people here a couple of weeks ago, all the extension folks. Uh, forage and livestock folks. And this is front and centre was the conversation about extensive grazing and trying to do it correctly, trying to have minimal impact, you know, as in terms of loading uh, and minimal impact on, on runoff and all these types of things. And so, like I say, do the, do your research, do your homework, and then work with these these uh, knowledgeable people that are out there before you set up that extensive grazing system.
0: Right, and, and you may have neighbours or somebody else who's also... Um, been at it for a while that may be able to give you good advice as well as some of the extension people too. Um, One of the big benefits of these extensive grazing system is that we have the cows out there actually fertilizing these wintering sites with manure rather than us having to collect it and spread it. Uh, And you've done some research on forage yields Mm -hmm. on cattle wintering sites. Tell us a little
1: bit about those results. Well, you know, I think in that first work we did, uh, over 20 years ago, uh, we set it up, actually we pushed the envelope pretty hard on this one, and we had a pretty high, you know, stock density, cow day per acre, if you want to call it that. Uh, but we were looking at the, the, the uh, advantages or opportunities of manure nutrient deposition, specifically nitrate and ammonium nitrogen, and, and phosphorus. Uh, only about 10% of the N is retained going through the ruminant digestive system. So there's lots of excrement and only about 20% of the phosphorus. And so, you know, where those cattle are throughout the fall-winter months, is, there's going to be opportunity to, to leave those nutrients behind and for the subsequent crop the next year. Uh, with our first study, we did have a very high stock density, 800 cow days per acre on a bale graze system. But we also looked at the opportunity of of maybe <coughs> comparing the manure deposited by the animals out there on that extensive system compared to what a producer might might uh, move his dry lot manure with equipment, say a tractor manure better. And you know the big thing about nu- some of these nutrients, specifically nitrogen, it's very mobile. It's it it. it uh, it uh, leaches out, it'll volatilize, you know, so it's not, it's not a, a stationary nutrient. And so maybe in that dry lot straw pack, a lot of that N is gone, you know, after two or three or six months and maybe not there for that crop or on that field. You spread it with that, with that tractor manure spreader. So the big thing we found was that when those cows were out there, uh, we did soil tests pre and post, so soil test levels of nitrogen and phosphorus. And it was really interesting to see the two- to three-fold increase in nitrogen uh, where those cows graze compared to where we put the manure on with equipment. And so what we're capturing there is the urine, urine nitrogen. Uh, you know, And so that's a huge opportunity. And if that field is going to be a pasture, say, with a lot of grass species, that grass loves in. Uh, we did see you know two and a half three times increase in biomass where those cows wintered <laughs> and it could be a swath graze program, could be a bale graze program. So that is that's an advantage. You know, I did I did mention we, we had a pretty high stock density on that and so we, we backed off and made some we felt you know reasonable implications on where a producer should have uh, you know maybe two hundred fifty, maybe three hundred cow days per acre, not that eight hundred it was just too high a stock density. So and in my mind, it's it's just the right number of cows. Um, too few, you're going to have too much sorting, and you're going to have too much wastage. Uh, you just have to have the right amount where they're going to go in, and 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 you know, there's not going to be a challenge on intake. Everybody's going to get their share, uh, but they're going to you're, you're trying to manage, uh, you know, leftover residue.
0: And and talk about sort of. Uh the importance of electric fencing in some of those systems to sort of mm-hmm.
1: manage manage intake. What, mm-hmm. what,
0: how, how do you use that?
1: Well, you know, and I do mention this all the time when I talk to producer groups and that you, you have those folks that really in, use, use electric fencing as a tool uh, to manage utilization and fresh allocation and residue. And then there are some folks that just have an aversion to, <laughs> to fencing, and that's that's fair. Not everybody likes to get out there, but we're, we've, you know, in all of our work, we've we've come to to suggest maybe give a fresh allocation, say three to four days worth of, of new grazing. Uh, it's kind of based on all of the research we've done on those systems I mentioned previously. Uh, in this, you know, I mean, I've seen producers go seven days. I've seen producers go three weeks, and. Pros and cons with that. Sometimes if they feel it's working great, then don't adjust it. We're, always, we're saying you know, three to four days, uh, the cattle are going to get out there, they're going to get adequate nutrient intake. And then by day three, the back end of the third day, maybe they're getting a little bit more fiber than, than we would like to see. But certainly that fresh allocation is coming uh, again after that third day So or fourth day. Also the big thing we find too is you start out with that in mind. But then, when it gets colder, you need to be managing a monitoring. and monitoring. So, when it gets to that minus twenty or twenty-five with that wind chill factor, then we're going to have to move that fence quicker, sooner, more often, and and you know, so maybe down to a two-day move or something like that.
0: Right. Those cows are definitely going to eat more once it once the correct cold weather starts. I've I've heard of this term nutrient cycling. So, can mm-hmm. you tell me what that refers to, Bart? What what does nutrient cycling mean?
1: Well, you know, it's it's interesting, John, the, and the other buzzword right now is regenerative egg. And and in my mind, it goes back to lay farming from Europe, and that the, the beef cow or the ruminant, whether it's small ruminant or large, large ruminants, are, are great upcyclers, and they're great at utilizing very low-quality, high-fiber forages. And so... If there's some way we can have that ruminant on that acre of land utilizing the basal forage, and as we just talked about, depositing those manure nutrients from feces or from urine in a recycling fashion, and uh, you know, and that just that just reduces our, our inputs of, of purchased you know inorganic sources, which are very very costly in 2022, uh, and so what's also interesting is. You know, many of the cash cropping systems is just in high inputs and then high exports off that same acre of land. And we've done some work looking at, say, utilizing crop residues, whether it's a, a you know a cash crop or maybe an annual cereal crop. You know, grazing the straw and chaff, and following the combine if you like, and you know the benefits of the animal out there. Utilizing that that residues from that cash crop <coughs> and leaving those nutrients behind are, are certainly uh, you know very real.
0: One of the other uh, systems that we see a lot more and has become more common in many parts of Canada over the last few years is corn grazing. Uh, what are some of the management considerations that a producer has to take into account if they're considering using whole corn grazing?
1: Well I guess with all of these systems I First of all, say feed test, feed test, feed test. Mm-hmm. So know what you're starting with. You know, if you're short on energy or protein, then you need to have to bring in a supplement. Um, now corn is an interesting story. Uh, you know, we first saw some of those producers growing it It'd be over 20 years ago now. But I always look south to, to Nebraska, North Dakota, and of course our Manitoba friends, and they were growing corn because they were getting adequate heat units. And so, what the companies have done is they've selected these low heat unit varieties, ones that will actually grow pretty good yield anywhere across, the, you know, Western Canada specifically. And so, we see corn growing up in Grand Prairie, Alberta, out in Vanderhoof, BC, <laughs> you know, all the way down to Swift Current, to, to Saskatchewan. So, it is because we've gone from those early varieties of 3,000 heat units down to say 1,900. And so, yeah. One of the advantages is because uh, you know the cost of land has gone up, and if producers can grow increased biomass on that acre of land compa- compared to say your annual cereals, your barley or oat, obviously they're going to look at corn. Now, one thing we've seen with growing corn, you know, especially to other other areas, previous is they would take the grain and leave the the stalks, and so those corn stalks actually are really good low-cost way of of extending the grazing seasons for cows in first or maybe second trimester of pregnancy. You do have to supplement if you're grazing just those corn stalks. Now, what we see happening in the last 15 plus years is that producers are adopting to whole plant corn grazing and so you know taking advantage of of that cob and the rest of the corn structures and so but there's some 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 pros and cons cons with doing that that producers need to be aware of.
0: Yeah, so so corn grazing, whole corn grazing like that, they really need to limit the grazing area. That's a that's a key factor for that, so that they consume the entire plant and not just cobs. I take it.
1: A- absolutely, you know, and I talk about this uh, to our U.S. neighbors or maybe to our eastern neighbors, and they <laughs> they go, "Oh, well, you know." Uh, we never really thought of that, but you know, our, our winters get colder here, uh, dry cold, and so we may, we may be low on energy if they're just utilizing those crop residues. So certainly grazing the whole plant is opportunistic, but cows are very selective and they will go out there and they will sort off the cobs first. And so that's why we're saying for sure with this corn grazing system, whole plant corn grazing system, Only allocate that three day, maybe four day of fresh grazing because the the first 24 hours they're going to go out there and sort those cobs. It's going to be a tremendous intake of starch, and so hence we see uh, you know uh, signs of subacute rumen acidosis or digestive upset. And I've had you know veterinarians phone me from other parts of Saskatchewan saying, Bart, you know I got a producer. They have 40 acres of corn and, and there's 10 cows down and, you know, five are are not doing well and five with burned out rumens because they didn't limit graze. Right. And, and they just uh, got into a wreck that way. So we feel with that three to four days, they're going to, you know, obviously take the the ice cream part of the plant first and then day two and three, they'll have to back graze and then the stock and stover and, and have that fiber intake.
0: Right so those digestive disturbances like grain overload uh, or maybe less less severe subclinical acidosis mm-hmm. that that mm-hmm. is a that is a concern it, you know what about naive cows that've never grazed this stuff is that that change things
1: Oh absolutely and you know it, I always say any of these systems whether it's bale grazing or corn grazing the, the producer has to get comfortable with it and the cows have to get comfortable with it, especially if they've been managed previously, say, with a feed wagon and equipment. And now all of a sudden we're turning them out onto a field with, say, whole plant standing corn and saying, you know, go at it. And some of that work we did at Lanigan, it was funny to see the naive cows, they grazed all the dead grass along the fence line and around the posts. And then about half a day later, <laughs> somebody walked over and took a bite and go, oh, this isn't too bad and so it was kind of a leader follower, and then everybody else jumped in, and all of a sudden, we're off to the races. Everybody was grazing corn. So, you know, and, and I think you need to, f- you have to learn uh, uh, how far can you push your, your, your animals to clean up. Uh, you know, certainly different varieties of corn will be more palatable than others. The big thing, the last structure that's left is typically the stalks, and you know, sometimes there'll be less stalks and more stalks, depending on the corn variety. So, you know, I've seen cows just do a really good bang-up job of maybe leaving less than 10% residue, other fields with maybe 30% residue. So it's a lot of things to consider is that your, your herd has to get used to this system going forward. So there's a lot more biomass with corn, uh, but there's mm-hmm. more input costs too. Do the economics still work out, Bart? Well, you know, I mean, uh, you're paying for that technology, you're paying for the Roundup Ready variety. Um, you know i I've, I've seen producers that that have used cows to graze it and they've had a bad year and once bit forever shy what they'll do then is they'll grow the corn and put it up as silage and then they'll maybe come back and they'll just graze the the you know the stalks or something whatever's left after the silaging so you know it i think the advantage of corn is still um, the the three to four fold increase in yield per acre compa- compared to maybe oat or barley. But the other thing too is that we've seen some of the early recommendations for, for mineral or sorry for fertility inputs change. In fact I've seen producers, you know, go corn on corn on corn on corn for five or six years and they're not having to put any fertility in because the manure is there for the next year's crop. So that's a real advantage right. as well.
0: Right, that's the big advantage of grazing it rather than silaging it to some extent. Correct. I guess if you graze the crop residue, though, you're going to get some of those benefits too.
1: The other thing I've seen too is sometimes the corn will get ahead of you and you don't want it to go to black layer. That's pretty mature grain. Then you'll get into that. We talked about digestive upset. So, you know, make sure it's that half milk line of that first killing frost and you should be able to manage that 50% starch and 50% fiber intake is kind of what I suggest where they should be with your, with your cows out there.
0: Okay. And we talked about, the, you know, feed testing in episode one Mm -hmm. with John McKinnon Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. obviously, uh, testing swaths or grazing corn is a little trickier to sort of get a representative sample than, uh, than a, uh, sort of conventional feed source that we might have bales in a yard or something like that.
1: Yeah, you know, it is. And I always, uh, I've always had that question too. You know what I suggest <coughs> is uh, if they want, we always take. If you want to look at quality and yield, you take 17 and a half feet a row, and that's equivalent to one one thousandth of an acre. So, um, you know, just go out there and harvest that. It is a lot of sample <coughs> because it's more than say just an annual cereal crop. And then, you know, you can chop it up. Uh, wood wood chippers have we've seen people use to just get that sample to a, to a uh, you know, a form where you can submit it to a lab. Right. The other thing we've seen with wet years is, is maybe evidence of, of mold. Uh, so that too has been a concern, but you know, the, certainly we haven't seen that lately.
0: No, that's not been a problem, at least in Western no. Canada, but uh, no. maybe in other parts. Um, so Maybe just to wrap up, do you want to? Uh, would you mind summarizing some of the key points that the producers might want to consider if they th- if they're thinking about implementing one of these extensive grazing strategies to extend the grazing season?
1: Sure, uh, absolutely. I think the first thing I always tell them is start small. So don't go seeding a whole quarter section to that crop <coughs> if it's corn, or maybe you know setting out bales for a whole quarter section. Start small. So maybe ten acres, you know. And and if it works for you, then you can slowly expand. Uh, you know, as I say, it's going to take a while to wean off using equipment to feed your cows and have the cows walk to that field. Uh, do your homework. Uh, talk to your neighbors. Talk to the you know the 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 reps that are out there. Your nutritionist. Uh, maybe choose a site where that's going to benefit from the deposition of manure and nutrients. Maybe a, a nutrient deficient you know, area on your farm or your ranch. Be sure there's good wind protection. Uh, that's that's huge today with, with animal welfare. And, uh, and think rethink your water source out there. And, you know, do your feed test for sure. You know, protein can get a little low uh, for cows close to calving, on a, especially on a corn crop, whole plant corn crop. So, you know, make sure you do that feed test. Pay attention to energy protein. You might have to for sure... Um, you know uh, bring in a good mineral package as well uh, and and absolutely make sure you have plan b in your back pocket because mother nature is not going to work with you every year
0: that's good advice bart thank you so much for doing this uh today i'm sure we'll have you back on to talk about some of your other projects and and some of your other interests uh really appreciate you doing this thank you well
1: thank you john okay thanks for having me
0: That's our show for this week. Thanks for listening, and thanks again to my guest, Dr. Bart Lardner. Thank you as well to our sponsors, the Alberta Beef Producers and the Beef Cattle Research Council. Please consider subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have questions or comments or would like to suggest topics that you'd like to see covered in future episodes, please email us at bchnpodcast at gmail.com. That's bchnpodcast at gmail.com. That's it for this week. Take care until next time.